Hey guys, this is Georgia with Ancient Aliens, and you're listening to That One Time I Was Abducted by Aliens with Jamie and Bree. You're listening to That One Time I Was Abducted by Aliens. I'm Jamie. I'm Bree, and we're two sides of the coin. Hey everybody. So last week, we did an episode, the beginning, part one of the Secret Space Program, and this week we're continuing on to part two. Where we left off, we were in Antarctica. We were establishing the grounds of the Germans showing up, taking a look around. Putting a permanent base. Yeah. Really, the seeds that were being planted to start the German space program. So I think where we should go now is what kind of crafts were the Germans making down there in Antarctica? I'm sure if you're well-versed inside of history, you know a little bit about the Foo Fighters. The alleged Foo Fighters. The alleged Foo Fighters. But for those who don't know, the Foo Fighters are basically UFOs that were reported by the U.S. pilots during World War II. And they were usually described as like a big, bright light or like a fireball. It almost seems to me that this would be how they would describe an orb, maybe some of the orbs that we see these days. Yeah, absolutely. Mainly in the UFO community, they were saying that this could have been actual ETs coming and checking things out and seeing what we're up to. Obviously, this was a time when we grabbed a lot of attention from other beings out in the galaxy because we have a lot of war going on. We're testing different nuclear bombs and whatnot. So it was getting us a lot of attention. Most people would say that those were ETs coming to check us out and see what we were doing during the war. But it was also talk that this could have been some type of German secret technology that they were working on. Absolutely. So really the incidents with the Foo Fighters started, you know, right before Christmas in 1944. And it was an American Air Force pilot who was flying over enemy territory. And when they were looking out the window, they were like searching for German warplanes, you know, seeing what's up in the sky. And while he was on his radio, he said that he saw this round glowing object approaching him. The objects were described as being like fiery, glowing red, white, or orange. And even some of the pilots described it as looking like kind of like Christmas lights. And they seemed to kind of toy with the aircraft. They didn't seem like they were trying to like shoot them down or attack them, but it definitely seemed interested in following them. The pilots and the air crew reported that the object kind of flew with the craft and behaved as if it was under intelligent control. Like it wasn't just some like, you know, maybe unknown species of bird that let off light that was, you know, flying along a plane, it seemed like, to the pilots at least, that there was something driving it and driving it with intent. It wasn't just the glowing lights, but they also saw uh, cigar-shaped crafts as well. What's interesting is what the Germans were working on and, and the various different crafts that they were making prototypes for, which we can go over. You never hear anything about anything that's like a cigar-shaped craft. Mm -hmm. So that's a question in my head. I don't know if I believe that they were Nazi crafts. So that's the thing. So when all these pilots reported it, you know, the the military took the sighting super seriously. You know, they wanted to investigate it. The first thing that came to mind was these were German weapons of some sort. But the problem was, is when they started to investigate, they realized that German pilots and Japanese pilots were both witnessing the same thing and not claiming it. So you have not only American, but you have German, you have Japanese pilots all coming out saying, yo, there's weird shit flying next to us. It seems intelligent. It doesn't seem malicious. Like it's not harmful. It's not trying to attack us, but it is following us. It can outmaneuver us. And no matter how hard we try to shoot it down, nothing happens to it. Right. And to me, if these were Nazis, 
trying to show off a new craft, I don't really think that they would be just messing around in the air without it even being weaponized and them just dodging around. I think they would only go out there and do that if they could use that to defend themselves. You think about the Nazis, and one thing that they are not was well-behaved. <laughs> Their intent was to be harmful and to be malicious, so I can't see a Nazi flying a UFO and just toying with people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they're out for blood. They're out to kill. They're not pussyfooting around. I find it hard to think that those would be Germans. But really what kind of perpetuated this idea that it was a German weapon was the news media. Paris, one of their newspapers, put it in the headline, German secret weapons are chasing, you know, U.S. planes. And this is where we start to get all of these kind of like really the beginnings of fake news. Hmm. And it's interesting because it's like, well, did the people in Paris really think that this was a German weapon? Or were they trying to drum up support for themselves and the allies? I mean, what what really was the motivations behind going out and saying that you thought that this was the Germans without knowing whatsoever what it was? I think because it was more likely for it to be a German craft, an enemy craft, than it would be an ET craft. So are we saying that this is the beginnings of hiding UFOs from the world? I so think so. So instead of just coming out and saying, hey, it's a UFO, we have no idea what it is or where it's come from, they instead are turning it towards something earthbound yep. and using the relevant news that's going on, like the war, and masking that as what's really happening? Absolutely. And it just causes more hysteria between everybody. You know, you have the Germans pointing their fingers at us and we're pointing our fingers at them. Obviously, no one's going to believe each other. So, I mean, that's just like a huge huge, huge, open, unsolved mystery, really. Because I would assume that by this time, especially how the Nazis were, they liked to show off and speak about, you know, we have this great thing coming around. Someone would have claimed it by now. You would think so. I more am inclined to think that happened as that these are probably some type of extraterrestrial craft. And I think maybe instead of us thinking it was the Germans, in retrospect, what happened is these crafts, beings, whatever it was, maybe then became in contact with the Germans, which is how the Germans from that point forward are making all of these UFOs basically down in Antarctica. More than you could even imagine to understand that they built. There were so many tests and there were so many failed things and they've so many different versions of what it is that they made. And so it's hard to pinpoint and name down exactly all the different crafts that they had there, but just understand that like any kind of scientific community, there was a bunch of trial and error before they really figured it out. I think that the biggest thing that comes to mind when you talk about Nazi UFOs would be the Nazi bell, which is one of the widest known in the kind of alien community about a UFO that the Nazis built. There's a lot of lore attached to it. I know that we've done it for a Factor Sci-Fi before in our episode, and we've gone a little bit into it, but I think it's maybe worth a little bit more to kind of dive into it a little bit today. So we here in America call it the Nazi bell, but that's not really what it's called. It's actually called the Die Glock. Mm -hmm. And it was theorized that it was a top secret Nazi device, secret weapon, whatever you want to call it. One of its other name was the Wonder Waffle. Oh, I like that one. If I could say it in a German accent, it would sound better, but I can't. <laughs> the Wanderwaffe. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Allegedly, the Third Reich used this device. We don't really have too much information about how it was built because it's still in limbo about whether or not it existed or not. But the scientists in a German facility had this device that was made out of, quote, hard, heavy metal and approximately nine feet wide to 15 feet high. So it's not small. 
we'll say like the size of like a large room. So you're looking at something big. So theoretically, I'm already thinking like, okay, size wise, that could be a craft that flies. I'm, I'm down with that one. Where I think it starts to get a little bit weird for me is when they say what's on the inside of the device and like what's propelling it almost. It's said that the device contained two counter-rotating cylinders that would be filled with a mercury-like substance, but that was violet in color, which I find very interesting. So I don't know if you know mercury, you've seen it, looks like liquid silver almost. So think about liquid silver, but more a purple version of it. And what happens is, is these two cylinders kind of rotate around each other and create some type of energy that's making it lift off the ground. And this violet colored mercury-like substance actually does have a name and they called it Serum 525. Ooh, suspicious, mysterious, dangerous. So it's said that this device, this craft, whatever it is, that when activated, it had an effect of like, almost like it created its own atmosphere and everything with inside the atmosphere was affected in some way, shape or form. So it would be things like plants would decompose, crystals would form inside animal tissue, blood would like gel up and separate. So even if this wasn't a UFO, I'm already getting weird vibes from it because they're probably doing some weird experiments in this weird, it's like a torsion field. Yeah, this weird atmosphere that they've created that weird shit goes on inside of it. So when it comes to the Nazi bell, people say A, UFO, or B, some type of weaponized device. I say, why not a little bit mixture of both? Because if you have a flying weaponized device, you know. It took them a while though to weaponize the devices. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't imagine, like I think when they were first trying to figure out just the anti-gravity part of it, that probably really amazed them. I'm assuming whatever is coming off of the machine is more of a byproduct of the anti-gravity than necessarily them weaponizing it. Because you get that sense of like a lot of people who say that when UFOs are touched down somewhere, the ground beneath it is like bare or like the plants where it was, where it landed are dead or something like that. the place. Exactly. So I'm more inclined to think that this is not necessarily so much of a, of a weapon, but more just they had an anti-gravity propulsion system and didn't understand the side effects of it. So whatever they see and they come in contact with, it's out of this world, literally. Mentally, they're thinking, what the fuck is this doing? Well, I think if you think about it from the perspective of the Nazis who maybe don't know anything about, you know, like a anti-gravity machine, they just see it as some type of a weapon. Like, oh my God, I turned it on and it floats and everything dies. Like, this is exactly what I've been looking for. Yeah. So I'm more inclined to think that the force field around it is more of a side effect of the anti-gravity than anything else. But a lot of people took it as they were building some type of weapon, that they were specifically building it in this way to use it as almost like a laser beam to put into places that would murder everything inside of it. Which, I mean, also very plausible when you're thinking about the I think eventually, but not at first. Yeah. So they worked on numerous different craft. It's almost like a catalog that you could look at, all their different Hanabu crafts. There's a bunch of the Hanabus, and then there was a couple of real machines, and then there was the Nazi bell. Mm-hmm. But there are some strange videos that you could find. If anyone is into Billy Carson, I think he might have that on his website, Forbidden Knowledge, where you can watch these old, old ass videos that are allegedly some of the Honeyboo crafts that were being test flown. Hard to believe sometimes, of course, for me, but it shows kind of over a progression of time how it started off this janky little flowing tin bucket and then it got a bit better and then you can see that they had some type of weapon 
attached at the bottom. Like basically they started off trying to make a hoverboard. Exactly. Like we all did. And then kind of built from there. Once they figured out what they needed in order to get it off the ground, they started tweaking it with it. How much weight can we put on it? How big? What what do we do with the shape and things like that? Mm -hmm. So I think at the end of the day, it all comes down to reverse engineering. They had something. They took it apart. They tried to figure out what it was. And they spent years and years and years trying to put all the pieces together in different ways to figure out what the fuck was going on. So we don't know whether or not this Nazi bell exists. In my heart of hearts, I believe that it was a real thing. Um, I also think that maybe some of the German scientists probably jumped in it and took off to whatever space (laughs) station that's out there, which is why they say they can't find it here on Earth. There's a lot of mystery about like, is it dumped in an ocean somewhere? Did they take it to outer space? Like all these different things. So I'm going to take your cue from last episode and just assume that like Maria just jumped on it and disappeared. We have no proof it's around. They say that there's like some silo in Germany that was said to house it. And if you look at it, like it does look like it could be holding something like that, but it also just looks like a nuclear tank that they stored shit in. So it's hard to say whether or not it was real or not real. It was so heavy looking. I can't even imagine seeing that flying around in the sky, really. Well, yeah, because everyone who says saw it described it as this big, giant hunk of metal almost, like really like a big, giant, solid bell. Yeah, and that's just so hard to think of it flying around. But then in retrospect, you think about all these crazy spaceships that they have up in space that are like, you know, the size of America that are floating in there. So realistically, if you have an anti-gravity propulsion system, I don't think weight really matters because you're defying gravity. So what would weight matter in that world? I heard David Childress saying something about how there was one of the Nazi U-boats that were seized somewhere in the South America area that they seized a U-boat there and they they had surrendered because this was after the war. And in the U-boat was a shit ton of mercury. Mmm, interesting. This mercury-like substance, was it violet by any chance? (laughs) Then there was another story that he was talking about that there was a U-boat that had sunk into the bottom of the ocean. And it was this big story because they were terrified that something would crack it open and whatever was inside of that U-boat would obviously do a a tremendous amount of damage Mm -hmm. to the ocean floor. I mean, if there's a ton of mercury in there, I would imagine. Let's just be safe to say that... The Germans had some crazy fucked up weapons that we know nothing about, which I think is a perfect place to jump into Operation High Jump. Operation High Jump was officially named the United States Navy Antarctic Development Program, which I like that they codenamed it something because that's a really shitty, boring name. (laughs) It took place between 1946 to 1947, and the United States Navy went down there to go check shit out. Now... On the record, they were going down there to train personnel, test equipment in cold conditions, really to just kind of check out the area because they had never really been there before, determine the feasibility of establishing and maintaining kind of bases in Antarctica and things like that. And that's all fine and dandy when it comes to paperwork. (laughs) But at the end of the day, we all know that's not why they went down there. This must have also been once word came around the block that there were secret Nazi bases in Antarctica. Because with all of this happening in World War II, obviously there were spies embedded. And like you mentioned in our last episode, 
they couldn't keep that much of a secret. So it was coming around in waves in the wind. And of course, the US hears that there's possibly underground Nazi bases and what the hell they could be concocting down there. Absolutely grab everyone that you can find. You're going straight to Antarctica and you're going to get rid of these Nazis once and for all. Yeah. So the plan was. So in 1947, Admiral Richard E. Byrd led about 4,000 military troops from the U.S. and also some from Britain and Australia in an invasion against Antarctica. Let's just call it what it is. They went down to invade. You don't go down there with bombers and battleships. And (laughs) you don't go go down there as as America to discover and take a look and see if there's, you know, going to be scientific study centers down there and bring the fucking allies with you. You don't bring fucking Britain and Australia with you as well. Like, (laughs) come on now. I believe that this was also supposed to be a total of eight months and they came back home within six weeks. So it's said that when they went down there, they kind of encountered a heavy resistance to their little Antarctic kind of venture with like a bunch of flying saucers and they had to call out the invasion and turn around and come home. (laughs) Pretty much. They were sent home crying. I mean, I'm pretty sure people were hurt. Well, and what I'm really interested in is Admiral Byrd's kind of comment that happened in the El Mercurio newspaper in Chile, where he has said, quote, didn't want to frighten anyone unduly, but a bitter reality that in the case of the new war, the continental United States would be attacked by flying objects, which could fly from pole to pole at incredible speeds. Yeah. Let me just like, wait, wait, wait. (laughs) You're not saying aircraft. You're not saying enemy airplanes. You're you're specifically saying flying objects, objects, not planes, not crap, objects that could go from pole to pole at incredible speeds. So let's just take a like a little a little look back. Is there anything in the world that is even made to this day that could fly from pole to pole at incredible speed? No. So what the fuck are we talking about here? Yep. What is it that he went down there and that he saw and that he ran from and had to come back and had to make a comment about, quote, flying objects? Apparently, these flying saucers came up straight from the water. I mean, can you imagine you're trekking out there like, all right, keep an eye out here for one of them Nazis. And then some USOs, USOs, flying saucers coming up from the sea and just pew, pew, pew. It's like a Star Wars scene, right? You're not in Kansas anymore, buddy. Yeah. What I don't get is like, what in Avril Bird's mind (laughs) did he think that he could just tromp on down there in a boat with 4,000 troops and be like, we got this shit? Because he was like, America. And they were like, no. No. (laughs) That's the thing. Jokes on you, bud. And then to even try to battle them is, like, astonishing to me. The fact that they even tried to sit there and figure out what the fuck was going on, it took them six weeks to come home. Like, if that was me and I saw some weird crafts coming up out of the water and flying around, I would immediately be like, abandon ship, go home. Yeah. No, thank you. Abort. Abort. There's no way we're going to win and we're all going to die. Some people did die. I find it interesting that not all of them were dead. They let some of them walk. We're going. We're going. We're going. I think there's a reason for it. This isn't why I parked my car. (laughs) 
This is where we get into the Antarctic Treaty. We're at 1947, also the same year of the Roswell crash, right? Yeah, and all of this taking place with Admiral Byrd down in um, Antarctica is happening only months after the Roswell crash. See, it comes back to that question again, then. Mm -hmm. Was it aliens then that crashed? Or or was it Germans trying to figure out how to use their new technology? Because a lot of people make jokes and stuff about aliens, but if aliens were smart enough to build these crafts and to travel, you know, trillions of light years through the galaxy, how is it that when they come to Earth, they crash their UFO? Joke's on you guys. It's because it's not aliens inside the crafts. It's humans trying to figure out how the fuck to use it. (laughs) Uh, That's the thing, because there's all these accounts of, you know, the little bodies and the big heads, and they were wearing these weird, like, skin-tight jumper suits in there, and that they, you know, they captured these bodies that we kept one for a long time until it died. But who's not to say there were also Germans inside of it and the aliens were trying to teach the Germans how to drive. Oh. And so instead of just killing themselves, they killed everyone inside of it. it. We gotta get, we They were like, look, I'm gonna give you the controls. You do you. (laughs) And then immediately regretted it. Like, why do we not have a co-pilot seat? Who built this craft? Why did we put this person in charge of it? Remember on our conspiracy episode, I said that was on my conspiracy list that I hate Mm -hmm. was that it was Nazis instead of aliens that crashed in Roswell Mm -hmm. because I still hate it to this day. But there's also weird talks that it was pretty much a mad scientist down there as well. Mm -hmm. A German one. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Look how you whispered it. Who are you whispering (laughs) it to? Who are you like, it was was a a German mad scientist. Like just, (laughs) it was a German mad scientist. Right. Even in concentration camps that they did use a lot of the poor people in these concentration camps out for a lot of their experiments. And being in a craft like that was one of them Mm -hmm. to see how the body handles it or if it falls, what happens. They were pretty much the, the guinea pigs in a lot of these trial and errors. This mad scientist person, he would use a lot of dwarfs. And I guess back in the day, it wasn't a normal thing for them to just accept dwarfism. They kind of kept them tucked away and Mm -hmm. to a hospital or whatever. And that was the family member that everyone forgot about. And that they were using these dwarves for these tests crashed. And so when the craft fell, there were actual human dwarves. Well, and see, and I was going to say, I'm inclined to think that they were using also children. So if you think about (gasps) aliens and you think about them being small, maybe these big giant German men couldn't fit inside of this craft and they had to test it with, you know, humans that could fit. So A, you have dwarfs or B, you have small children. Small children have big heads and small bodies. Especially from concentration camps. Exactly, because they're super malnutrition. So they probably have these very, very skinny legs and arms and bodies that probably look a little gray because they haven't been eating food. Are we having a revelation here? (laughs) Like me and you? I know. We're like, oh, God. We're like, oh, God. Uh, And then that makes sense to me that, you know, it's not some smart alien that crashed something. It was the Germans trying to figure the shit out. And either A, they couldn't figure out how to drive it, or B, whatever or whoever they put inside of that craft was trying to get themselves to crash. I think a lot of skeptics will take this as good excuse for saying that there are no aliens. There were just smart Germans creating incredible technologies. So then why don't we have UFOs now? Exactly right. There's so many, oh, but I, oh, wait, but like there's so many things people can say in all these different places and you can go back and forth of trying to decide whether or not it is or what it isn't. So we live in a world where aliens are real. So that's very true. Strap in. This is what we're in for. 
And you know what? We always can look back to the Vril Society's ties with ETs and them admitting that they had channeled information from beings in another world, pretty much, and that's how they got their technology. So regardless, there's ETs included. Absolutely. I think it has to, and whether or not we got the craft from them or if we got the technology from them, there was some type of contact made with aliens because obviously we're, we were a society that wasn't that smart because there's like nothing up until World War II. It's like for years crazy? and years and years, it's like we don't really have that many, too many big advances and things. And all of a sudden, like World War II comes along and we're like, we can make flying saucers. <laughs> Exactly. So we're going to talk about the Antarctic Treaty, but we're not going to be talking about the Antarctic Treaty that you guys all know and love very well, where it's like we all go down to Antarctica and hold hands and it's only for research and no weapons and no military bases or anything like that. That's the Antarctic Treaty that everybody knows about. No swaba. Isn't that what they called the place? It was New New Schwabenland. New Schwabenland. New Schwabenland. This was the official beginning of New Schwabenland. Club 211, this is mine. This is mine. Nine. I was like listening back to our bad German accents and they're really, they're so they're bad. They're horrible. They're so bad. So the Antarctic Treaty that we all know in history is not the Antarctic Treaty we're talking about. We're talking about cabal behind closed doors secret underground fucking just crazy treaties that you guys don't know about. A lot of treaties we're going to be talking about in this whole series. And you're going to see a lot of instances where, you know, maybe the U.S. government's making treaties with certain races of aliens and things like that. And it all kind of spirals out to these written agreements that we have with whatever the fuck is up in space. So I'm going to go off on a ledge and say this is like the big first treaty that we had Mm -hmm. with them. So why don't you give it to me, Brie, what the fuck it is? Basically, when United States went down there to get rid of the Germans and we could not, they have the upper hand at this point. They've rightfully taken their land. So what else can we do? We make an agreement with the Germans. A part of this agreement was to establish them as their own sovereign nation. So Antarctica is pretty much German. That is their ground. The Germans and the Draco, that is their land. Then we start to make even more secret behind closed doors agreements to incorporate some of the Nazis that were still left in Germany and incorporating them into our space programs. Which is where we get into Operation Paperclip. And as much as people who are history buffs will say that Operation Paperclip, we went in and stole all the Germans and stole their space program. And it's the only reason we're in space today. And it's the only reason our country is as intelligent as it is when it comes to science is because we stole all of these German professors and educators and scientists and all anyone. Engineers. Yeah, I mean, anyone and everyone that we could scoop up that had some sort of significant meaning we took. But in retrospect, Operation Paperclip was the public documentation. We can show them this in 50 Mm -hmm. years when we declassify it, but we didn't steal anything. Because the people back home, we wanted to see these trials for their crimes against humanity. These were atrocious war crimes. We wanted to see them charged with that. Whoever was left, whatever Nazi scientists we still have on the grounds, scrounge them up and put them on trial because they should get what they deserve. And this is not what happened. And I think that's all Operation Paperclip is, is this big front to make it look like 
we were, you know, kicking ass and taking names. And, you know, that's not really what happened. No, not at all. This was a way to pardon them of all of the crimes that they did. Now, what did we have that the Germans didn't have? We had the resources. But not just that, but we also had an entire globe who was behind us and not them. But I'm saying... What they could take from us is our giant arm of manufacturing capabilities. We had the resources for them to build what they needed to build. And we needed everything that they had because they have incredible technologies now that could pretty much take over the world if they wanted. They just didn't have the manpower to manufacture it. So to the everyday civilian's eyes, we won the war. Germany took a very sad bow, Mm -hmm. and that was it. But really, that's not what happened. We incorporated them into our government and our military. We really shook hands with the dark side at this point, and we kind of became one, in a sense. Well, yeah, you have to think about it. It's not like we, you know, quote, stole all these scientists and things like that and threw them in a prison cell. No, 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 no. We let them come from their country. We handed them documents, like, here you go. We handed them high positions, gave them payrolls, and said, this is what you do now. And we pretty much just tried to sweep it under the rug. Oh, absolutely. We hid all of it. You know, it started off with, oh, there was just a hundred of them. And then the the number just keeps growing Growing and growing and growing. And And now you're hearing what we're up to, like, 3,000 Nazi war criminals that we just integrated into our system. For our own benefit. For our benefit and for theirs. It's hard to say. I think we didn't have a choice up to a certain point. But at the same time, I think regardless in any situation, I think that United States loves to be on top. And if we can look like we're on top, we're going to take it. And I think this is really the first time America as a whole dips its toe into the black darkness Absolutely. of the underworld. And I think that not only is this the beginning of the secret space program, but this is really the beginning of the cabal. This is really the beginning of what you would call the Illuminati or the deep state or anything like that. All of it really stems from this first contact with ETs and Earth that we know of. Not to say that it's not credited that aliens didn't come down and make the goddamn pyramids or whatever it is. We're not talking about that timeline right now. I 100% think that, yes, we probably spoke to aliens and shit back in, you know, the Egyptian days or whatever. But we're talking more present time. Mm -hmm. Things that are closer and easier for us to grasp because we have more evidence in front of us now about the Germans and ETs than we ever did about the pyramids and ETs. That's more like archaeological research to be done. Exactly. This is really at first hand. And you can see when you start to pull back the layers and look at what really happened, then it really makes sense to you why we would pardon them of all of these things and why we made it so easy for everyone to forget everything that they had done and all of a sudden shift to, we have a new enemy. It's the Russians. Exactly. And everything else that happened went out the door. And we all just forgot about it. Well, not just that. I think once we took all of them in, there was this inkling about space. Russia was like, you know, we're going to go to space. So then America has to turn around and be like, nah, we'll do it first. So what will we do? Anything. So now our biggest enemies 
is now our partner. At the end of the day, America is just trying to constantly be on top. I think in that moment, their whole thing was shaking hands with the Germans and behind closed doors, making these agreements and these treaties. This was really them being like, okay, if this is what we're doing then, we're on top forever now. Like, we're not going to do this mm -hmm. once and go back to the bottom. We are number one and we will be in control of any everything and everything. I think that's what really starts to perpetuate the whole secret space program. Let me just say now, the secret space program is a real thing. What's in question here is to what degree you believe it to be real or not real. I will say Richard Dolan, Daddy Dolan, I was watching a panel with him about the secret space program. They have everyone on there who's all about the secret space program is real. And you have- oh, It must have been old. It was old. And then you have Daddy Dolan down at the end. And he's not saying, he's not trying to discredit what anyone's saying, but he is saying, listen, there's documentation for all of this. We know there was a space program. We know there's Operation Paperclip. We know all of these things. We have documentation that all of these things happened. What we're really looking at of the scope of things is as to what level all of it happened. Because mm -hmm. as of right now, the only thing we have is eyewitness testimony mm -hmm. when it comes down to the secret space program. And what if me and you have said on probably a million episodes, the worst kind of evidence <laughs> is eyewitness testimony. testimony. Yeah. So you have this conflicting thing, and especially even when it comes to me and you, I think, is like, we know that the secret space program is real. I want to believe what everybody says. We all have our own experiences. But you also have to put it into retrospect of being like, but this is all eyewitness testimony and how much can you say is real or yeah. not real. Then you get into the realm of, well, so-and-so confirmed it and so-and-so confirmed it and they confirmed, so, but all their stories link up. Well, it's very easy as a human to have everybody's stories link up with each other. Absolutely. Very. You have to kind of jump with a little bit of blind faith when it goes to the secret space program because, again, it's documented. We know it's real, but it's the extent of what it is. Did we just go to the moon and come back and that was the end of it? That's, you know, the the worldview of what it is, what's out there, what everybody thinks. We went to the moon, you know, we you have the space station, you know, we've you know put rovers on Mars now. And on the outside, that's all fine and dandy. But what we're going to get at in the next episode is what's underneath all of that surface, what's mm -hmm. really going on and not just what is written in our normal history books. I will say, though, Daddy Dolan has really changed his stance. He has. That's why when you said that, I'm like, this is an old one mm -hmm. because he's gotten deep into the secret space program now. And now he's like, he's about it. He's so. And that's what's great, though. If you guys really want to look into it, there's so much out there. There's oh, yeah. so much. And this has been going on a really long time. And I can't wait for this to tie in with NASA. That's Which I think is where we're getting into next. Yeah. <laughs> well, as you see, we're making a slow progress through it. There's a lot of information and so many things you can talk about. But I did find it important to say that before we continue on that you hear me saying the scientific side of it. I have here, I have papers, I have the facts, I have what's written down. It's documented. We just don't know to what extent. And that's what we're going to figure out. And what I like about Richard Dolan is, and why I brought him up was because yes, it was old video that he said these things. And it's interesting to see his progression now and his stance on it now because beforehand he wasn't saying it wasn't real he was just yeah. saying like yeah no i get it there yeah i could see there's documentation there's proof there's fact there's memos there's signatures everything's there i just don't necessarily maybe believe what the people in the panel next to me are saying like, right I, I don't know i, I wasn't there i witnessed testimony yeah. shitty but now after years and years of being involved in this field He's like, okay, no, no, no. Maybe these people are credible. I believe this person. I've confirmed it with this person that they've had something. These two people have never talked to each other. There's no way their stories would link up. And so you have to go in and you have to do that research. So I think it's important to understand that we have a space program, but we're talking about the secret space program, mm -hmm. which are two very different things, although oh, yeah. intertwined. Yes, although intertwined. Very intertwined, but very separate. 
I heard a saying, I can't remember who said it, but it was so great because it was like pretty much NASA came in place to be the pretty face mm-hmm. of the space program. Mm-hmm. It's the makeup. It's the, look at me, look at me. This is what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's not. It's not. <laughs> exactly. That's so a great place to end off it. We're going to get into it next episode. We love you guys so much. Let's go to our favorite part of the episode. Shout outs. Let's start off at our skeptic level. We have Jan from the Good, the Bad, and the Just Plain Standard podcast. Then we have our truth seekers, Shayna, Jamie's mom. Hey, Mama. We have Destiny at Destiny from Space. Girl, I love you. You are a shining star in a dark sky, and you light up my life, and I would be nothing without you. That's so sweet. I know. Why are you always whispering? I don't know. Let's go on to our next category, which is made up, and it is a skeptical truth seeker, and we have Adam from Not For Everyone podcast. Then we have our middle bitches, Raya. Hi, Raya. Love you. Miss you. We I have love her. And we also have Scotty at Scotty Doodle. We haven't heard from you in a while, boo-boo. You should well, send you us an help. email. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we also have Bobby, who is the other person from Not For Everyone podcast. And you can find him at Pinball Bobby or at Not For Everyone podcast on Instagram. We have our last made-up category, which is a skeptical middle bitch, which I feel like is a little bit repetitive. <laughs> <laughs> Skeptical middle bitch. Like, that's what middle bitching is. We have AB. Love you, AB, at Weather Traditions on Instagram, who we're going to get on the podcast here very soon. You guys, yeah, we're going to be doing an interview soon. I'm not sure when it's going to be released with the series and stuff, but we will be interviewing her next week. Yes, can't wait. And then we have our last and our favorite category ever. Anything is possible. Hi, Matt. Thank you so much, Matt. You make my dreams come true. I actually haven't heard from you either in the past few days. Is everybody alive? and okay and well like what's going on yeah hit us up did you guys listen to the latest episode on our patreon that we released our thanksgiving episode <laughs> did you listen to it did no I send it to you? you didn't send it to me yo i gotta send it to you it's so good i send it to you no i send it to you send it to me i did send it to you because you didn't like the music that was in the background you were like what's up with this creepy i thought music? we were just gonna leave it though and i know i did leave oh you it. did okay. and i was like it's it's my thanksgiving music and you were like it sounds like awkward and i was like well my thanksgivings are awkward yeah <laughs> that's what i remember and i was like oh my heart like, that yours aren't, but mine are. Yeah, I was like, that's my Thanksgiving music. It was weird. So if you want to be a patron and you want to give us, I don't know, maybe like a dollar a month, you can go listen to our weird pre-pod on patreon.com backslash that one time I was abducted by aliens. We love you all so much. If you guys want to get in touch with us more, you can shoot us an email at that one time I was abducted at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram at that one time I was abducted and all the other social media shit that, you know, we're involved in. So we love you all. Love you so, so much. Have a wonderful night. And Mountain View, California, although your truffles are delicious, you can go fuck Have yourself. Have a blessed day. Fuck yourself. Be blessed. No. Love you. No. Thank you so much. Ah.